This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. On this week's episode, a decision about the future of the James M. Singleton Charter School may be announced this week as the Orleans Parish School Board meets. And school district officials announced that campuses will offer voluntary weekly COVID-19 testing with financial incentives, along with vaccines, when school begins. A New Orleans City Council committee is making moves to try to avoid a federal court order to construct the new jail facility known as Phase 3. And after plans to resume in-person jury trials after a 16-month pause, two court sections in Orleans Parish Criminal District Court, along with Magistrate Court, have moved to virtual hearings due to recent COVID-19 infections among lawyers and court staff. Those stories, insight, and analysis coming up on Behind the Lens. On the podcast this week, education reporter Marta Jusen. Hi, Marta. Hi, Carolyn. Criminal justice reporter Nick Crastle. Good morning, Nick. Morning, Carolyn. And Lens editor Charles Maldonado. Hello, Charles. Morning. Marta, first up in education, there's an OPSB meeting tonight, Thursday, where there's likely to be some decision made about the Singleton Charter School's future. Get us up to speed on what happened last week. So last week, Singleton uh, cleared one of its warnings. Um, it has a few outstanding warnings for finances, administration, um, and it had this one for background checks, which was one of the more serious ones. And that warning was cleared last week, that, which means they resolved their issues with the district. This is amid ongoing court-ordered mediation, so I'm guessing that that had something to do with it. But really the big catch up to speed here is that it's looking now like because of that court ordered mediation that the district is not going to take any action on the school this evening. Okay, so the negative finding about employee background checks there, it's just put behind them. It's over. I mean, I think it is still a very serious offense that the district's not happy about, but technically the, the warning is no longer open. They've remedied the situation in okay. the district's eyes. Nevertheless, they are still interested in going forward with revoking the charter. So we actually had some late breaking news last night, Wednesday night. Um, we The district told us last night that they're not going to be taking any action tonight because of ongoing court ordered mediation. Mm. Um, that was a big surprise to me. I, you know, they kind of came out guns blazing when they said they were going to revoke the charter uh, late last month. And I, I really thought they were going to bring that same energy this week. So uh, I would definitely say this was a surprise. You know, I took a look at their calendar, the school calendar last week. The teachers go back for for, for professional development on Monday. The kids start the following Monday. How are they, how is it possible for them to reach some sort of, you know, conclusion on this in a way that isn't going to be incredibly disruptive for all these people? Yeah, I mean, if they they take any action, I think after... In, at any point in August, it is going to be disruptive. So at, at this point, we're kind of in an interesting wait and see. We have to see what happens in the courtroom, and then we have to see what the district decides to do. Um, because, Charles, you're right. Anything they do in August um, is going to be uprooting kids and potentially teachers losing their jobs. Just to keep in mind, we're recording this on Thursday morning the uh, of July 29th. The OPSB will not meet until this evening, even though this this will be, this podcast will be published on Friday. I was just certain that they were, you know, going to be reaching some sort of conclusion on this tonight, um, because their their next meeting is until 
late August, I believe. So I, I, I guess it seems like maybe Singleton has has kind of run out the clock on this, and maybe they they might be allowed to uh, continue operating under under the Dryads YMCA board simply to avoid that kind of disruption at this point. Yeah, it, it does seem like a real possibility at this point. And, and the other thing to remember is that they only have one year left in their contract. So had the district not stepped in and decided to take this potential summer action, I think likely what you are going to see in the fall, I mean, this depends on LEAP scores, which are going to come out soon, and what you know grade the school gets from the state. Um, I think likely what we were going to see was a non-renewal anyways, and that the, the school would probably be closing next summer. So I think that's a that's a possibility here. And also, this this is not a situation where the the school board or the district could just could just take over the school because it operates out of a a, a building that isn't owned by the school district, right? Right. So it's a it's a very unique scenario. When would the decision about the uh, renewal of the the expiring contract in a year be likely to be announced, or when is it compelled? When are they compelled to announce that legally? When they, do they... have to announce it before um, the end of ja- before the end of January. So they generally do it in November or December. Would they potentially announce earlier? That's possible. They've done that before. They've did not perform well. They've they've announced it in October. Um, the other potential option is uh, for a school to surrender its charter, um, although that, that has not happened yet in this case. I don't know that it's going to happen, but that's also a possibility. Okay. So what's happening with the lawsuit? What's the status of that, that the school So filed? right now, the school has a temporary restraining order um, that is, is, it's not over the fact of revocation, it's over um, some other disagreements that they have, which, you know, the school got this order based on the fact that they have the right uh, to mediate disagreements that's written into their charter contract. So currently the district is barred from contacting students and families and teachers at the school, um, which is something they had you know, intimated they would do in early July. They said that they were gonna reassign kids, they were gonna help teachers find jobs. Um, we heard in a, in a legal hearing a, a few days after that, lawyers for the school said, you, you can't do that, the school's not closed yet. And if you do that, you will essentially close the school. So the district has not um, been able to contact students, has not contacted students or teachers. Um, they mm. confirmed yesterday. The other thing I wanted to say about that and was that yesterday I was looking at the, the district has a website, right, for uh, school enrollment. And in the summers, they have uh, what is called a seat availability list. So you can look at the seat availability list, see what um, seats are open and what grades at what school. When I looked yesterday, I did not see Singleton on that list, which... If that holds true, you know, I think it's potentially an issue for the district. I was uh, talking to the Dryad's lawyer at that time because I was asking her to comment for a story that we were preparing to write. She said she also noticed it was off the that seat availability list. When I went back to check last night, the school was back on there. And that was oh. after the lawyer had contacted them. So Oh, so that could have been a tip. curious stuff to me. I asked the district to comment on that. The district said that Singleton was never taken off the enroll NOLA as an option, but I think we're kind of getting into a technical space there where it's possible it wasn't listed on the site, but you know, technically someone could have asked to enroll in that school. So 
kind of kind of muddy water there. I've asked them to clarify the seat availability thing specifically, so we're still waiting for the district. So hold on a second. Is that possibly an inadvertent tipping of the hat of a decision that they've made? Yes, potentially, and they've done that in the past. They have cut off enrollment to previous schools that were not doing well um, hmm. just over the summer. Yeah, I mean, but taking them off of one app, I, I, I could see how that would be a problem with the ongoing mediation because that, that, is, that is an action that you take only when you're closing a school. Right, so it's going to be interesting to see how that figures into court. I'm, like I said, I'm still waiting for OPSB to get back to me on in terms of in Wilnola in general versus this, you know, single seat availability website because mm. they are kind of two different things. But if that indeed happened, um, I think it could be problematic. Right. And in a late update to this story, a spokesperson for NOLA Public Schools told the Lens that, in fact, Singleton was temporarily unavailable on the OneApp enrollment website. The spokesperson called that an inadvertent error and added that it was fixed immediately. And COVID, schools in the city are reopening, well, next week, even in the middle of the Delta variant surge. What is NOLA Public Schools doing to prepare? Yeah, so the, um, the district has decided that they are going to require masks again this year. Um, that's something they weren't initially planning to do, but um, because of this new Delta variant, I would say really taking hold in the city. I mean, we're seeing numbers above the third wave, close to the second, and, and you know, rivaling kind of our worst times here. So they are going to require masks, um, but they they do want kids in school. That's been their bottom line all along. Um, and they're also encouraging people to get the vaccine, but they are not going to require it. How about testing? Uh, they're going to be running a special state program, actually, that is going to offer weekly testing at all campuses. Um, and it's going to come with a financial incentive for people who get the test. Julia O'Donoghue reported in the Louisiana Illuminator that that's going to be a $5 incentive per test that's taken, which, you know, that will add up over the course of the school year. Um, and it's funded through LDH and the CDC. So pretty good opportunity for them. They're not having to spend money on this. Uh, tell us about other districts in the state. How does Orleans Parish compare? Yeah, so Orleans, I believe, was one of the only ones with a mask requirement last year for all students. Um, I think a lot of other districts were encouraging them, but did not take as strong of a stance um, as the district did. And Orleans also required them for you know young kids like K to two, which I know some other districts did not require. But as far as testing goes, I've seen a lot of other districts are picking up on that state program that's offered for free for free weekly testing through the Department of Health. Um, but O'Donoghue did report that a few districts have already turned that program down, which is interesting. One question on vaccines, Marta. Did uh, did the superintendent at all uh, address, you know, once these vaccines are given, you know, they're still on emergency authorization of approval from the FDA. When, once they're given full approval, you know, like vaccines for the measles and mumps and, you know, all the other things get kids normally get vaccinated for, is, is the district cons going to be requiring them after full FDA approval? He didn't specifically address what could happen after full approval, but he, he did explicitly say that there would not be a mandate of any sort right now, um, not for students, uh, not for district employees. Um, and then he also, of course, noted that the district does not directly employ school teachers. That's charter groups. So a charter group on its own could go out and require them in some form or fashion. That's up to them and their legal teams, but the district is not doing that at this point. Does the district report or have 
uh, any data on what the percentage rate of their employees are vaccinated? I believe they are taking, keeping track of that, but they have not released that information yet. Um, something I am excited to see in the fall is that the district is going to track vaccination rates at every school site because they can, they can get that data for students through the, the Louisiana State um, database. And so I think that's for, that requires other vaccine information like you know MMR, any other type of required shot. Um, so COVID-19 information is going to be in there. That's going to be really interesting to see when it comes out this fall. Yeah. How are those records generated? Um, I guess they're maintained by health providers who transmit them to the state, but how do the, how do the health providers know that a kid is enrolled at a certain school? They just have to know, I, I believe they just have to know the kid's name and or social security number. And so they go into that state, school nurses can go into the state database, um, which my understanding is it's maintained by the Department of Health. And then they can just look at look for a kid and then they will find what they have vaccines for. Okay, so the state, so, so school, school nurses will be generating this data on vaccination rates and then submitting that to back to the state? Uh, they'll just be submitting it to the district. Okay, I see. And will the district be tracking citywide infection data like they did last year? So we did get some new news on that. They are not going to be, let's say, tracking or relying on it the same in the same fashion that they did last year. Last year they had trigger points. You know, at 5% positivity, we do this. If there are more than 100 new cases per day, we do this. Um, and they said, uh, you know, that they haven't, they're not going to draw a line in the sand now because kids being in school is more important than uh, anything else. So hmm. what they're going to do is they're going to use precautions, social distance, require masks, encourage vaccines, do testing, and hopefully keep kids in school. But, you know, we're going to have to see what happens because right now, like I, like we talked about, we're in we're in 10% positivity. We barely touched on that in January and we shut down schools for two or three weeks. Right, or right. Actually, it was longer. But And schools, schools are not generally going to be offering a, a virtual option this year, right? Correct. Um, in, in, in limited uh, medical and special situations, parents are going to be able to request that, but it's not going to be done on a broad scale. Okay. Thanks, Marta. Thank you. You're listening to Behind the Lens. I'm Carolyn Heldman. My guests this week are education reporter Marta Jusen, criminal justice reporter Nick Crastle, and Lens editor Charles Maldonado. Hi, I'm Philip Kiefer, health reporter here at The Lens. When it matters, The Lens is here, and we're here because of you. Because of the thousands of people like you who support this service, you get the news that you tell us matters. Your tax-deductible gift now ensures that everyone in the community has access to facts and diverse voices and points of view. Ensure that you have the information you need and the news that matters. Every donation adds up to a public media service that serves the community. Make a donation at thelensnola.org donate. And thank you. Nick, up next with you, New Orleans City Council is making some moves to avoid the federally mandated construction of the new jail facility known as Phase 3. At a meeting this week, they talked about different alternatives. What happened at that meeting? So the meeting, they discussed two separate measures. One was a motion that would instruct the City Planning Commission to consider a retrofit option of the current jail which is uh, sort of the preferred alternative to this phase three building um, 
by advocates and um, others in, in opposition to, to the new facility. And so that, that measure was actually voted on and passed unanimously. And then there was another resolution that sort of instructed um, all the parties in, in the consent decree litigation to sit down and, and discuss possible alternatives to, to the phase three facility. And that measure uh, wasn't voted on. Um, it was opposed by some of the the advocacy organizations because it had some language in it that suggested that, I, I think there was, there was a, a line that said, discuss the possibility of reducing the scope of phase three, which which some people objected to because it, it maybe suggested that that they might move forward with some form of phase three, whereas they, they are opposed to sort of any new facility. What's in their power to do? Well, basically the, the ultimately what the city council will be able to do is vote on a zoning ordinance that, that the city says is required to build phase three. So if the city council decides to uh, vote down um, that zoning ordinance, then it will put them in, in a spot in which they've kind of gone against the order of the federal court. So that's ultimately what, what, what their power is. The, this motion to, to instruct the city planning commission to consider an alternative uh, retrofit option. What we sort of learned uh, at the meeting on Tuesday was that this was maybe mostly uh, symbolic. The City Planning Commission basically said that they don't actually even need to consider this because they're not making any uh, changes to the exterior of, of the building if they were to do this retrofit, and that doesn't really fall under the scope of comprehensive zoning ordinance. That, was sort of expressed in a letter by the, the director of the city planning commission, Bob Rivers. What the, city, the council members said in response to that was that we want to move forward with this to basically give a public hearing uh, to this retrofit option, and that, that's kind of the pathway in order, to, in order to get to that. But in order to do that, the planning commission would have to produce some sort of report. What report would they even produce for this if this isn't even within their purview? That is a good question. There's that, and that's unclear to me. They also said basically that they they need floor plan schematics about what it what it would look like, and whether or not those fully exist it isn't isn't quite clear. Um, so, and in addition, you know, the phase three plans have already been submitted for for at least several weeks now, so they wouldn't be able to consider the retrofit. I don't think in the same timeline that, that, that they're con, uh, you know, considering the phase three option, which, which is scheduled for a public hearing at, uh, in August. Yeah, and, and so what, what, you're, what you're describing here, in, you know, the way I see it, is sort of a, 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 a microcosm of everything that's been happening in this, which is to say that you know, every move that the city has made on this over the last year or two has been arguably one or two years too late. Uh, you know, they're ready to go on phase three. The, the judge's order is in. Um, you know, it's on appeal, but it's in. Um, this has been a decade-long fight during which people have been pushing the city to consider other options, to come up with other plans. And at some point, in the judge's view and the view of the other parties to the consent decree, we have to come up with a, a, a permanent solution to house people. Um, on the one hand, we have a plan that's, that's ready to build. On, another, on, on the other hand, we have sort of concepts that you know, could be ready to go in a couple of years. And it, it seems like the city has a very 
tall hill to climb to convince the courts that after a decade of arguing about this, that they're going to need another couple of years to come, you know, to begin on another plan. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and it, it should be noted that, you know, in, in hearings last year around this order to build phase three, or that when the city was trying to get out of it, they presented this retrofit option and the same expert who presented to the city council on Tuesday and the, to the council committee on Tuesday actually presented this plan to the court and the magistrate judge over, over, over seeing the hearings basically said, this is totally not viable. Um, there are, he felt there were all sorts of unaddressed issues with the plan and was, was very unimpressed with it. So the idea that the court would somehow, you know, come around to it without, without some, you know, major rethinking of it just seems, seems unlikely. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. And I think any, any alternative is going to need by it, you know, is it need is maybe too strong a word, but I, I think it would help the city to have buy-in from the civil rights attorneys representing the plaintiff class of inmates and the Department of Justice, who are two of the other major parties in the consent decree. Um, and they do not seem to have that at all at the moment, right? No, they don't. I mean, that's what, what's interesting about that. I mean, this resolution to kind of, you know, say, why don't you guys all get together and like figure out a, another option that's been done over and over again in this litigation. I mean, I, I was looking back at uh, old coverage of this and back in like 2014, there was a quote from Judge Afric on this very same issue that was just he was already exas uh, exasperated by telling the, the city and the sheriff and the, and the plaintiffs to try and come up with an, a, a, a resolution here. So kind of the idea that, why don't we just all sit down and think about this again? It, it's, I don't think that, that for, I mean, certainly not for the sheriffs, and I don't think for, for uh, the DOJ or, or the civil rights attorneys representing the um, detainees in the jail, that that's, that that's a very compelling uh, option. And I think, they're, I think they're as much frustrated by the process that the, that the city has gone through to oppose this as they are, by, as they are to the, the retrofit alternative. I, I think that they're they're just frustrated um, that it's taking so long to do anything. So I don't know what it would take or if it's even possible for, to get them to to uh, consider something else. Are they flirting with uh, contempt of court charges? So if they ultimately decide to deny the um, zoning changes that they say would be necessary to build phase three, then yes, it sounds like they are. Yeah. So the, the vote on the, the retrofit was uh, was uh, was unanimous by the by the committee. It was the, the criminal justice committee. This all has to go before the full council still. But when you look at the at, at who is sponsoring, who's actually putting their names on these resolutions, I did notice that there were five council members on the resolution to take this to the judge for a discussion or some sort of mediation where there are only two council members sponsoring this retrofit re resolution. I wonder, does that suggest to you that more council members have the appetite for trying to work within the consent decree than for sort of, than, than for, you know, sort of buck, bucking the judge and, and the consent decree on this? I mean, it's hard to say, you know, because the, the motion did pass unanimously. Um, and it does suggest that they are in favor of, of 
the retrofit. It's hard. I don't know. It's hard for me to get a sense. I think that if that the council, I'm sure would like the, the city, the jail to no longer be under consent decree. I'm sure they're not interested in facing, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in fines if that's what uh, contempt looks like. I don't. I I think they, you know, they really want to figure out some some resolution to this and and whether or not that's possible. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. So I, I guess. What I'm saying is I, I'm not sure where the, where the individual members of the council stand on this. I can say that um, council, Councilman Gia Russo certainly seemed the, the most concerned with the possibility of, of violating the consent decree and being held in contempt of court. That, that was kind of his line of questioning, and he was the one who authored this this resolution that seemed to sort of try and come up with, with some, uh, you know, third uh, alternative solution that's not a retrofit or a phase three. And yeah, notably, Councilman Jeruso is an attorney. <laughs> All right. And other criminal justice news. In-person jury trials have been halted for over 16 months now. Some were set to resume, but now with COVID cases on the rise, some courts are going back to virtual yet again. Uh, yesterday, on Wednesday, you reported that some sections of Orleans Parish Criminal District Court have moved back to virtual hearings. What prompted that? So there were, there were some COVID-19 cases uh, of a public defender tested positive for COVID-19. At least one court staff has also had a, had a case and there was an exposure um, in the drug testing lab. So all of the, I mean, and you know, this is of course, as, as we're seeing a uh, massive surge in cases uh, across the state and in New Orleans. That is what, what prompted a few of uh, the magistrate court to close for the rest of the week and go to all virtual. Another section of one judge in, in court is also going all virtual. So, you know, I think it's it's similar to what we're seeing in every other uh, aspect of, of the city and state in, in, ter- in terms of sort of readjusting and trying to figure out what greater restrictions need to be put in to make sure that the virus doesn't spread. But I think I think they're kind of trying to quickly reassess and they haven't come to any um, uh, conclusions yet on what exactly court's going to look like for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and, and I'll note that it's it, it does seem to be you know sort of similar to what we discussed earlier with the schools you know the, the schools are getting rid of rid of the you know the, the metric based triggers for closure over the course of the pandemic we have seen and correct me if i'm wrong nick we have seen court-wide closures like what is you know being requested by the public defenders right now for similar situations for for you know sort of mini outbreaks or, or, or large exposures that occurred among court staff. Um, but there just seems to be less appetite at, you know, this far along a year and a half into this than there was, you know, six or eight months ago for, for doing these sorts of closures. Yeah. You know, more people vaccinated now, maybe there's some less risk, but I think the public defenders in particular feel like they, they work with a vulnerable population, whether or not, uh, the majority of their clients are vaccinated. I'm, I don't know. And then I think the other reason that they're put, they, you know, the public defenders have asked for to go back to all all virtual proceedings. And I think part of that, part of the reason is it's it's just confusing for their clients when some of them are expected to be in court, some of them are expected to appear virtually, um, and trying to sort of sort that out when there's, you know, kind of if every judge is doing their own thing, um, that can can cause some problems in terms of in terms of logistics and 
in what can already be a, a confusing system. On the other hand, there's there's thousands of cases backlogged uh, right now, which means that people aren't getting their day in court, which has its own you know long long list of issues associated with it. The DA's office has basically said you know that they're hoping to come up with a way to to continue with jury trials, which obviously would require having a certain number of you know a jury pool in the building so that's a significant amount of people um but also trying to kind of implement some maybe more uh restrictive measures to to make it safer but it's unclear what that what that would actually look like and you know you mentioned jury trials these section closures that we're seeing and and these requests to go back to court-wide closure are happening days before the uh the the criminal district court is is set to commence its first jury trial in a year and a half right yeah exactly yeah i think there are actually several scheduled for next week so whether or not they they are going to go forward um uh it's not clear i'm actually I, the judicial administrator is supposed to get back to me today um on on what the plan is so we'll see okay and meanwhile some defendants possibly languishing in jail yeah absolutely i mean i think yeah, there have been um, people sitting in jail waiting waiting for their trial for, you know, months, if not, you know, a year year longer than... than on, on the other side of things, though, and again, Nick, if I'm wrong, let me know, but we, we have seen more releases and more lower bonds for lower level offenses during the pandemic. So, so while we have more people in jail staying longer on serious offenses, we also have more people who have been out of jail during the course of the pandemic, right? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, the I have not, I don't know the the jail population numbers right off the top of my head, but you know, definitely at the start of the pandemic, it dropped, you know, by hundreds of people as judges kind of changed their bail determinations and kind of assessed the risk of, of having someone in jail. And we also know that DA Williams, I think, for the most part, has been. Um, not objecting to, to bail reduction motions, although there, uh, there may be some exceptions to that. And also, you know, has been, as we've reported, not charging low-level drug offenses and uh, dismissing a, a lot of cases that had been um, accepted by, by the previous administration. So I think all those things have, have um, contributed to, yeah, less people uh, sitting in jail than, than previously. And then back to jury trials for a second. Is it conceivable and or possible or legal uh, in their purview to mandate testing or vaccines for the jury pool? And would they have dis socially distanced mask requirements? How are they going to do that safely? That's a good question. I mean, I could I could see that possibly that, you know, social distancing and masking, I think that requiring vaccines for for a jury pool presents all sorts of problems um in terms of i mean both quite obviously we've seen, seen arguments over whether or not requiring vaccines is is uh legal at all but then <laughs> what what uh demographics of people may or may not have vaccines i think or be vaccinated would would be a big issue so i don't think that is likely and yeah, it makes it makes it, it presents a situation where you have to assume people aren't vaccinated, and and what? How can you do? How can you uh, continue safely if, if that's if that's the um, assumption? 
Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah I, I think, well, for, first of all, I, I imagine any such rule would would not be a local rule, probably come from the state Supreme Court. Um, and I would say that, you know, statewide, you know, what, what you, you are seeing in a lot of places that, you know, people from wealthier and, and typically, you know, whiter people are, are vaccinated at higher levels. Um, so you, 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 you know, you have a potential representation issue in your jury pool, as Nick alluded to, if you, um, if, if you try to institute such a mandate, I think, um, uh, I think, I, you know, I don't know if they technically have legally have the power to do it, but I, I think they'd be opening themselves up to all kinds of challenges, um, right. if, if they did do that. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, once again, a fraught week. All right. Thanks for your work this week, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. Thanks to our guests this week, Marta Jusen, Nick Crestel, and Charles Maldonado. You can read all the week's other news and opinions at our website, thelensnola.org. Thanks for listening.